Blair House. By the time Tony arrived to pick her up for the gathering at Blair House, Nicole was pretty confident that Senator Jenkins had nothing to do with the assassination. If the opportunity presented itself, she was going to present the information to the senator that the two bodies in the alley behind the Air and Space Museum were the bodies of two Secret Service agents. That should impress the senator enough to get her some kind of appointment to his commission, she hoped. She wanted to be a part of the investigation, and having an ordinary citizen on the committee might calm the talk of Jenkins's involvement in the assassination. Her skills from her days working in the district attorney's office wouldn't hurt, either. When Tony and Nicole arrived at Blair House, Nicole honestly couldn't remember a thing Tony had been rambling on about as they had driven to the gathering. Her mind was racing, going over all the facts, her facts, as she started for the door with Tony at her side. Nikki, Tony asked, are you feeling all right? Yes. Why? Nicole asked. You just seem really distant. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a case I'm working on, and you know me. Until I get all the facts correct, I can't stop thinking about it. Well, try and relax tonight. Sometimes you worry me that you work entirely too hard, Tony said as the door to Blair House was opened by the new First Lady. Hello, Catherine. Tony greeted the visibly upset First Lady. He hugged her. I'm so sorry, Catherine. He whispered in her ear. Thank you, Tony. Sorry to have to greet you this way. I, I just got off the phone with Barbara Andrews. It is just heart-wrenching. Catherine turned her attention to Nicole. Welcome, Miss Charbonneau. Nicole was surprised that Catherine knew her by name. Although Nicole had attended many functions with Tony, where Catherine and the now president were in attendance, Nicole had never really talked with Catherine. To Nicole's knowledge, this was the first time that Nicole had actually talked to the First Lady in person, which in itself was a strange predicament. Maybe Catherine knew more than Nicole thought regarding Mark's many indiscretions. That thought made Nicole wonder if Catherine even suspected that Mark had desired her. The idea of Mark and her in an affair made Nicole sick. Mrs. Stevens, I am so sorry for your loss. If you could express my sympathies to Mrs. Andrews the next time you talk. Catherine smiled at Nicole, whose gracious comment caught her off guard. I certainly will, Miss Charbonneau. Thank you. She turned to point in the direction of the gathering. Mark and the others are down the hallway to the left. I will be there shortly. I need to freshen up a bit. She closed the door behind them. If you will excuse me. She started as she took their coats. Of course we will, Tony interrupted as he motioned for Nicole to begin down the hallway. Nicole reached the room with Tony at her side. Tony had been correct. It was a relatively small gathering, mostly members of President Andrews's cabinet, heads of the various powerful committees in Congress were in attendance. For a brief second, she almost gave Mark Stevens the benefit of the doubt and thought that he really was interested in honoring the president. As they entered the room, all eyes turned to see them. Mark rose from a chair where he had been in conversation with the Secretary of Defense. Hi, Tony and Nikki. Thanks for coming. Our pleasure. I, I mean, Tony answered, shaking his hand and furrowing his brow and the odd way his answer sounded. I, I didn't mean. I meant it is our honor, Mr. President. He wasn't satisfied with that answer, either. Mark smiled. I know, it is awkward, he answered, letting go of Tony's hand. Continue to call me Mark, Tony. 
We have been friends for such a long time. I'm not sure I'd answer you if you called me anything but Mark. I think it is appropriate for me to call you Mr. President, regardless of that. It will take some getting used to, though, Tony answered. Ms. Charbonneau, thank you for coming as well. Mark extended his hand. Nicole took his hand and resisted the motion that Mark was trying to undertake. He wanted to kiss her hand, but Nicole withdrew it before he was able to do so. Thank you, Mr. President, she answered. Would you like something to drink, Miss Charbonneau? Catherine asked, as she came up behind Nicole, a strict-sounding disapproval of her husband's apparent action in her voice. Yes, please, Nicole answered, so very happy that her rejection had possibly been seen by the First Lady. Tony? Catherine asked. I'll have the usual, Catherine, thank you. I'll help you, Mrs. Stevens, Nicole said, as she followed Catherine to the bar in the room. Thank you, Catherine said as they walked. The staff has been working so hard to pack us up that I didn't have the heart for them to work this evening, so if you need anything, don't hesitate to ask or even help yourself. That was very sweet of you. I imagine this is a hardship on so many people. One doesn't stop to think. Nicole answered. Yes, you know, in some ways, our staff knows us so much better than most of the American public. They see all the intimate details of our daily lives, Catherine said, beginning to pour Tony's scotch. She looked up at Nicole when she said intimate. Nicole caught her meaning. This is my first visit to Blair House during your and President Stevens's stay here. Nicole started. I like what you've done with this room. Nicole was trying to work out a nice way to let Catherine know that she had no interest in Mark Stevens. Thank you. What would you like to drink, dear? Catherine asked. I'll have a gin and tonic, please, Nicole answered. She paused, but then decided she needed to put Catherine's suspicions to rest. Mrs. Stevens, this may be a bit forward of me. Be as forward as you like, Catherine answered, the tone of her voice sending the signal that she was preparing for the worst. Thank you, Nicole answered as she took her drink and started in a low voice. I'd like to put your mind at ease concerning, well, let's say some possible speculation you may have observed or heard about your husband and possibly myself. She cleared her throat, trying to muster the courage. She continued in a low voice, stepping a bit closer to Catherine. Am I right in my assumption of your speculation? Yes, I know how Mark feels about you. You have a lot of spunk to show up here this evening, Miss Charbonneau, Catherine said sharply. Nicole looked down and almost smiled. Mrs. Stevens, I have no romantic or even casual interest in your husband. She looked at Catherine, who had a surprised look on her face. I don't know who told you otherwise, but it is of great importance to me that you know I don't know your husband in an intimate way. Catherine almost seemed relieved, and she smiled at Nicole. Miss Charbonneau, of all the things I have heard about you, there is one quality that is true that I can attest to this very minute. I'm not sure I want to know what that is, Nicole said again looking down at her feet. Your honesty is admirable, Catherine said, extending her hand and taking Nicole's into hers. She continued in a low voice. Thank you for telling me what you did. You are aware of the rumors, then? 
painfully aware. And I am not the one spreading them, Nicole answered. Part of the reason I was so upset earlier was because of the call from Barbara. But also the thought of having this president's mistress. Nicole's eyes shot up to meet Catherine's. Right here under the same roof as I am was almost too much to bear this evening. She squeezed Nicole's hand to keep her from talking. I thank you, Nicole, for being so direct. And now I can hold my head high this evening. Mrs. Stevens, I don't know what you have heard or from whom, but you have every reason to hold your head high when I am in the room with you now, and especially in the future, Nicole went on. If you would be more comfortable with me leaving, just say the word. No, please stay. But know that I will have the upper hand the next time Mark threatens replacing me with you, Catherine answered. I must get this drink to Tony. Thank you again. With that, Catherine left Nicole standing alone at the bar in shock. Nicole watched Catherine walk over to Mark and Tony. She took a drink of her gin and tonic, suppressing the urge to down the whole drink in one swallow. She had known Mark Stevens was scum, but she hadn't realized how much of a scumbag he really was until this moment. And yet, in some way, she wished she could be a fly in the room when Catherine got her chance to throw it back at Mark. So deep in thought, Nicole didn't notice that Senator Jenkins was approaching. Good evening, Nikki, he said as he reached her. Nicole jumped back to the reality of the room at his greeting. <laughs> I, I really must find some way of saying hello to you that doesn't scare you half to death, he chuckled. Nicole smiled. Oh, it isn't you, Senator. I just need to clear my mind of a number of things and stay in the moment. Senator Jenkins poured himself another drink. How are you this evening? Nicole asked. As well as can be expected, I suppose. Like you, I'm in a contemplative mood. The senator lifted his glass of scotch to toast with Nicole's glass. Their glasses clinked, their eyes met, and they both took a drink. Senator, I was surprised by your announcement today. Jenkins looked at Nicole. Really? Why is that? I'm not sure. Perhaps part of it is because it is so quick after the incident to form a special investigation. It seems most are surprised by it, but rest assured I have my reasons. Jenkins took another drink. Besides, when you look back at most of the assassinations, commissions have been formed to look over the findings. Yes, that is true, Senator. Nicole started, unsure of how she wanted to proceed. I know something, and I'm not sure how to start the discussion. I've told you before, Nikki, to call me Bobby. Perhaps that will help. Nicole smiled. It's about the double murder in the alley behind... Jenkins reached out and took Nicole's elbow. He led her away from the others and into the hallway. The Air and Space Museum, she finished as they reached the hallway. She had a confused look on her face, but continued, actually relieved that they could talk more privately. I know they are Secret Service agents. Jenkins looked at her with a look of confusion first, and then with an intense look, which Nicole mistook for anger. I suggest that you keep any speculation, and that is all that is on your part, to yourself. But, Nicole started, if you would like to remain alive, I would stop your meddling and leave the investigation up to my staff and the FBI. Are you threatening me, Senator? Whichever answer gets you to stop.
the senator answered sternly and coldly as he deliberately brushed past her and back into the room. Nicole felt her breath leave her body. She felt like she was being suffocated. The fear the senator had instilled in her with the tone of his voice and the deliberate brush with her body was causing her heart to palpitate. Her flight or fight response was beginning to raise her body temperature. Could it be that Senator Jenkins could be the greedy, power-hungry, cold-blooded conspirator behind the assassination, as her colleague had suggested earlier in the day? She started for the door, where Catherine intercepted her. Nicole, are you feeling all right? Catherine asked. Nicole tried to gather her composure, but it wasn't going to happen. I'm sorry, I just need some air. She walked to the front door as Catherine grabbed her coat from the closet. Nicole took it and opened the door. Thank you. Good night. She slipped to the other side of what she felt was the safety of the night air. She hurriedly threw on her coat and began to walk to the gatehouse. Open it, please, she said in a stern voice. You shouldn't be out walking alone, ma'am. I'll be fine, thank you, Nicole said as she almost ran through the gate. She turned down the street, looking for a telephone to call Carol. She needed her faithful friend and her experience of getting out of any tight situation. She picked up her pace, her heels clicking on the sidewalk, echoing in the dark winter night. She rounded the corner, which placed her in a business district where she could find a phone. She entered a restaurant and went directly to the payphones. I need you to come and get me, she said, as soon as Carol answered the phone. She gave Carol the details where she could be found and then hung up. She had to get control of the adrenaline that was pulsing through her body. Carol didn't ask any questions or resist the thought of showing up later. She had never heard Nicole's voice that scared. It was only a matter of ten minutes before Carol entered the restaurant. Nikki, she said as she entered. What's the matter? Let's go, Nicole said as she exited the restaurant. They quickly moved to Carol's double-parked car. As soon as they were in the vehicle, Carol pulled away. The traffic she pulled into didn't waste any time honking their horns and yelling expletives out of hastily wound-down windows. What the hell is going on, Nikki? Carol demanded. Nicole sat for a moment, trying to gather her thoughts. I'm not sure, Carol, but I think Senator Jenkins just threatened me. What? You're insane, Carol answered with a little chuckle. She looked over at Nicole and realized that she was serious. What happened that made you think he threatened you? And in what way? In the conference room at work when you were in court, Jenkins announced his special investigation into the assassination of President Andrews. One of the associates said that Jenkins was involved in the assassination. That's crazy. What would he have to gain from assassinating the president? Power and the investigation would put him in the news for the next year or so strengthening his image to the American people, and the world for that matter, to run for president himself. Anyway, I went through a hundred scenarios at least, and none led me to his involvement. So this evening, I thought I would share with him my theory on the two dead bodies that were found in the alley behind the Air and Space Museum. You what? Carol was getting confused. What bodies? There were two men murdered behind the Air and Space Museum. It was in the paper this morning. Oh, okay, Carol said, remembering she had hastily read the story. You developed a theory on that murder? Yes. One of the men was Jeff. Your ex? Yes. And you know this how? Carol asked. The shoes on one of the men were the shoes Jeff wore. Carol laughed. 
Nicole, however, wasn't amused. Oh, come on, Nikki. Do you know how many shoes look alike in the world? You are basing your whole theory on a pair of shoes that happen to be on the body of a person murdered in the alley who happens to be your ex-fiance? I thought the same thing. But I called Jeff's condo and no answer. So I called his boss and Jeff hadn't reported to work. He was never late. So one day he's late. It happens to all of us. Don't you get it, Carol? The men in the alley were two Secret Service agents. James said that Jeff and one other man had not reported for duty. This is just too much of a coincidence. Okay, fine. But what does all this have to do with Jenkins threatening you? I started to give this information to Jenkins, and he rushed me out of the room, into the empty hallway, and told me if I wanted to remain alive that I would stop snooping around and never speak about this to anyone. Sounds like good advice to me, Nikki. You are making some pretty serious accusations. And, not to mention, you are not exactly a part of the club, so to speak. You are not privy to all the things that are happening in Washington. You are always warning me that these people are ruthless. I think you need to take your own advice on this one. Nicole sat in the car, looking out the window, as Carol pulled up to her condo. I can't help but think I'm onto something here, Carol. You should have seen his reaction. Even if you are onto something here, Nikki, and even if Jenkins is a part of it, what are you going to do about it? Tell Bailey and have the D.C. cops arrest Jenkins? You do understand that Jenkins is head of the Intelligence Committee. Talk about someone who could make you disappear. Let it go, Nikki. Carol sat for a moment before adding. And I don't believe he threatened you. I think he was just giving you some friendly advice to keep your mouth shut and your nose out of it. Nicole looked at Carol. Whoever ordered the assassination of the president has lots of money and lots of power, Carol explained. In either case, they hold the trump card over you and me. If you want to form theories and motives because it is something you like doing, then go for it. But... I wouldn't be sharing those with some of the most powerful men on this planet. Do you know what I mean? You don't believe me. It is not a matter of believing you or not. I'm just saying it's not a game, and you are not in the position to do anything about it. Carol motioned to the door of Nicole's condo. Now, go get some sleep, and I'll see you in the office in the morning. Tomorrow night, we'll go out and blow off some steam at conversations. Nicole smiled. I had forgotten about that. I'll see you tomorrow. Nicole got out of the car and walked to her condo. Carol didn't drive away until Nicole was safely inside. Nicole was very tired and went right up to her bedroom. Maybe Carol was right. She certainly didn't have all the facts of the case. Within a few minutes after climbing into her bed, she was fast asleep. Meanwhile, Kevin Thompson had been having probably the worst day at the agency in his 12-year career. It ended with the director calling him into the office to voice his displeasure at Thompson letting Sean Atkins escape. Although Thompson knew that Sean was not the assassin, he'd had to endure the hour-long tongue lashing. At home, he sat down on the chair in front of his television to catch the news before he headed off to bed. He popped open a can of beer and settled in for a rest. He was only half listening until a story caught his attention. Senator Robert Jenkins announced today that he will be forming a special investigation. The announcer went on reading his copy. Well, this wasn't getting any better. More bureaucracy wasn't what this case needed. In disgust, Thompson flipped the television off and set his half-empty can of beer on the end table. He sighed as he realized 
that yet another conspiracy was being played out before his eyes. He smirked as he realized just how powerless he was at the agency. I'm just a puppet, trying to keep people from cutting my strings, he said out loud. He made movements with his arms like he was a puppet. He shook his head in disgust. What is the use, he questioned, as he stood up and headed for his bed. Day Five Washington, D.C. Nicole was seated at her desk the next morning, working on a case that was due to be in front of the judge on the following Wednesday. She had a couple of law books open to important cases that her brief was using to establish precedence. There was a knock on her door, and it opened to reveal Tony. At that moment, she realized she had not told Tony she was leaving Mark's gathering. Tony! How are you feeling this morning? he asked. I'm fine. I I'm sorry about last night. Senator Jenkins and Catherine said that you suddenly weren't feeling well. Jenkins said that you had gotten a cab home. Tony started. Nicole didn't say anything. She wanted to hear what else Senator Jenkins had said. I'm sorry that you didn't tell me. I would have been glad to have taken you home, Nikki. Nicole smiled. I know. It just suddenly came upon me. Well, that was obvious. I saw Senator Jenkins hurriedly escorting you from the room. I was wondering what was going on. By the time I got free from the secretary, you were gone, and Jenkins had said that you had gotten sick. It must have been something I ate at lunch. I'm fine now. Thank you for your concern. I am sorry I wasn't able to tell you, Nicole added. Well, Senator Jenkins seems to be really interested in you. He was asking questions about your background. What kind of questions? Nicole asked. I just wanted to know about your work background. What kind of cases you handle within our firm and, and what cases you may have worked on with the DA's office. He was really impressed with your background. He may be interested in you being on his special investigation. He said that? No, I'm just guessing based on his questions. Tony started back for the door. I put in a good word for you. And of course, your involvement would help the firm as well. He smiled. I need to get back. I'm glad you are feeling better. Nicole suddenly wasn't feeling as well as she thought. Thanks, she murmured as her mind started racing in a million different directions. Was Jenkins really considering her for a position on the committee? Or was he trying to determine if she had the skills to put the pieces together that led to Jenkins's possible involvement in the assassination? She looked out the window as she contemplated the many answers to the many questions that kept racing through her head. Then she heard Carol's voice in her head, with her advice given the night before. Was Nicole just a pawn in a game that was getting more and more complicated? Maybe I should sit this dance out, she thought. She returned her attention to the case that was in front of her. After all, it wasn't as if this case wasn't going to be hard enough to win without her being distracted by something that she had little power to influence. Before she knew it, it was five o'clock, and time for her to call it a day. Carol had stopped in earlier to finalize the arrangements for their evening at Conversations. They had decided that they would meet at the club because Carol wasn't sure what time she would be out of court. This was fine with Nicole. Past excursions to places like this usually resulted with Carol leaving with someone whom Carol hoped would be her future rich husband. Nicole really didn't like the nightclub scene, so driving separately allowed her to leave whenever Carol hooked up with the next man of her dreams. She never put much faith in finding anyone to have a serious relationship with in a nightclub. She was actually looking forward to an early evening and sleeping in on Saturday. She packed up her work for the day, replacing the law books in the bookcase and placing her briefs in her briefcase 
to review in the warmth and security of her home sometime during the weekend. She headed out the door to grab something to eat before getting ready for the night on the town. She arrived at conversations a few minutes early, finding a parking space close to the doors of what Carol described as the hottest new nightclub in D.C. There wasn't much to the outside of the place. In fact, you wouldn't even know it existed if you didn't have the address. But then, the line of people waiting to get in might be the first clue. There was a rather large gentleman stationed at the door. She walked up to him and inquired if this place was indeed conversations. He nodded and stuck out his hand, wanting something to indicate that she could enter. Nicole smiled and said that she was waiting for a friend who had the passes. The gentleman nodded and pointed to where she should stand. Nicole moved there and patiently waited for Carol on what was turning out to be a bitterly cold November night. After a short wait, Carol arrived and greeted Nicole with a hug. Nicole could smell that Carol had already started her weekend party a bit early. When she questioned Carol about it, Carol explained that she had unexpectedly won the case and stopped off for a drink and dinner with her client. She'd had only a couple of drinks and was fine. The party was already on, Carol informed Nicole as they entered the building. Carol wanted to party and celebrate the victory that she was sure Tony would be ecstatic about as well. Nicole just shook her head and followed Carol into the nightclub. Carol rarely needed an excuse to party. Even though Carol was a few years older than Nicole, Nicole thought of Carol as the little sister she had always wanted. Nicole was an only child, and her parents had passed in an unfortunate car accident only a few short years ago. She remembered Carol not leaving her side during that awful time in her life. Carol was alone as well, and had comforted Nicole that night by saying that they could be each other's family now. Carol's life was very different than Nicole's. While Nicole had had a loving home in an affluent neighborhood, Carol had been in foster homes. Her father had been abusive, and her mother, unable to deal with Carol's father, had been drunk most of the time. It had gotten so bad that the mother had called social services to have her daughter removed. That call had cost Carol's mother her life, the evening Carol had been removed from the home. Carol had moved around from foster home to foster home, Yet in all the upheaval, Carol had never lost sight of what she wanted to do. She had worked hard and put herself through school. Nicole smiled. She thought of the memory of paying off Carol's school loans when Nicole received the first bonus she had earned at Rosenschaffer and Pruitt. This was shortly after Nicole's parents had died. Those two kindnesses had created a bond between the two of them. It was more than a friendship. They helped each other in good times and bad. They were sisters. No matter what, Nicole was glad that Carol was someone she could count on, love, and enjoy life with. She'd do anything for her sister. They entered the nightclub and were instantly accosted by the loud music and flashing strobe lights. The dance floor was packed, and so was just about every nook and cranny of the place. Nicole and Carol made their way to the bar for a drink. They call this place conversations? I can barely hear myself think! Nicole yelled over to Carol, even though her friend was standing right beside her. Ah, Nikki, I'm surprised at you. There is more than one way to communicate, Carol said as she raised a provocative eyebrow. Then she threw her head back in laughter. This was Carol's usual behavior whenever she was being watched by someone she wanted to get to know better. The bartender returned with their drinks, and they paid for them. Geez, Carol, we just arrived. Nicole shook her head. At least share one drink with me. Relax, he disappeared in the crowd. Come on, let's find a table. 
Carol started off in the direction of a quieter area where tables were arranged. Nicole followed and then stopped with Carol to survey the room. There was a glass partition between the tables and the dance floor. However, open doorways still allowed the loud music to filter into the room. Nicole was scanning the area for an open table when her eyes caught the sight of Norman Sipes, who appeared to be in a heated conversation with Congressman Davis. She assumed it was heated because Sipes was leaning over the table and pointing a finger at Davis. He could just be talking loud enough to be heard, Nicole reminded herself. There's one, Carol said, and pointed in the direction of a vacated table. There was only one problem. The table was adjacent to the table Sipes was sitting at, and there was no way that Nicole wanted to spend the evening dodging Norman Sipes. It was too late. Carol was on her way to claim the table. Nicole began walking behind Carol, her eyes fixed on Sipes, hoping that his conversation would keep him engaged so she could slip by him. She kept her eyes on him, trying to plan out a path to avoid the meeting if she could. Sipes continued to talk with the congressman, and then something strange seemed to happen. Sipes sat back and glared at the congressman. A few seconds later, the congressman removed a white envelope from his breast pocket and set it on the table in front of him. The congressman then began to talk, using gestures implying that he was upset with Sipes, or at least not very happy about something. Nicole wished that she could read lips. The congressman picked up the envelope again, but just as the envelope looked as if it were being exchanged between the two men, someone stepped in front of Nicole. She moved to try to see around the person and caught a quick glimpse of Sipes putting the envelope into his breast pocket of his suit. He then abruptly quitted the table and disappeared into the crowd. Oh, excuse me, Nicole said loudly, as she walked into a nicely dressed man she didn't know. Oh, did I spill anything on you? I'm so sorry. It is quite all right, the man with a British accent answered. It's my fault entirely. I need to watch where I'm going. He and Nicole held their gaze for a brief second. The man smiled at her, but the smile didn't last. I'm sorry, I need to be somewhere. With that, the man disappeared into the crowd. Nicole, although she thought the man was very attractive, shrugged off the encounter and started again for her table. She gave a sigh of relief that she had not had to walk past Sipes and endure his advances, but yet there was a side of her that wondered what had just occurred. She was very sure that it was some kind of payoff, but for what? She chuckled to herself that sometime in the very near future, she or Carol would end up trying to defend Sipes for whatever had just occurred. She took a drink and arrived at the table. Carol was already seated and looked at Nicole as she sat down. What? Nicole asked. Took you long enough to get here? Carol answered. I was trying to avoid Norman Sipes. He was at the table with Congressman Davis over there. I just didn't want him to see me. Sipes Oil Company? You didn't want him to see you? Carol asked. Nikki! Aren't you being a bit callous? She then added a laugh and said, He must really get you going. I would just like to avoid him, if possible, Nicole said, trying to end the conversation. Then she noticed that Carol had gotten the attention of a handsome man who had just exited a table in the distance. The man had a smile on his face and looked like he had just walked out of the pages of Gentleman's Quarterly. His Armani suit was neatly pressed, his black hair a striking contrast to his blue eyes. Those blue eyes, there was something about them. 
he started over to their table. Nicole looked at Carol, whose gaze did not move from the man's. Their eyes were locked on each other, but there was something about the man that made Nicole uneasy. He arrived at the table. Good evening, ladies. He greeted them with a heavy accent that Nicole could not place. Carol answered with a seductive hello. It was clear to Nicole that she wasn't needed, so she stood up. The motion caught the man's attention. Pardon me, did I interrupt something? His accent was detectable in the midst of the loud music, but Nicole just couldn't place it. No, I just need to visit the ladies' room, Nicole answered. A slow song started to play. Dance with me? Carol asked, extending her hand to the man, whose attention was back on her. He took her hand, helping her out of her chair. Carol looked quickly over at Nicole and raised her eyebrows, giving a little smile. Nicole mouthed, be careful, as the man led Carol to the dance floor. Just as Nicole was about to turn from the table, the man she had literally run into earlier appeared, and he grabbed her by the wrist, beginning to manhandle her to the dance floor. She barely had time to put her drink on a rapidly passing table. Quickly, what is your friend's name? The man demanded. Excuse me? Nicole said, and in a rather irritated tone. Let go of me! Tell me your friend's name, the man demanded again. They reached the dance floor, and the British man took Nicole in his arms to dance the same slow song that Carol and the man with the icy blue eyes were swaying to. That man's attention was still fixed on Carol. Her life is in danger. Please tell me her name quickly. I might be able to help her. Her life? If you release your death grip on me, maybe I would be more obliged to cooperate with you, Nicole answered. The man realized that his actions and his firm hold on the woman in his arms was nothing short of brutal. I apologize. He relaxed his grip on Nicole. Your friend's life is in danger. I would like to help her. To do so, I need to know her name. Please believe me. Her name is Carol, but how? I'm going to move toward them, and when I release you, get away from me as quickly as possible. I know exactly how the man will react, and you don't want to be near us. Leave quickly. Do not dance with him or let him grab you. Do you understand? Yes, Nicole answered, still confused. How do I know that she is going to be? No more questions. Just do as I say. Nicole looked around and noticed they were closer to Carol and her dance partner. She continued to look around to get her bearings. Shit the British man said, suddenly letting her go. Get out of here! At that precise moment, Nicole heard gunshots, two of them. She turned to see Carol's lifeless body falling to the dance floor. There were screams as the people around her began to panic, but Nicole wanted to get to her friend. It was like swimming upstream in a wildly rushing river. Carol! Nicole screamed. The music had stopped, and more gunshots could be heard. Nicole didn't care. Her friend was lying on the dance floor, motionless. Carol! Nicole screamed again, trying to get to her friend's side. Nicole, get out of here! Sipes yelled as he rushed past her. A few more gunshots rang out, and suddenly the crowd changed directions. The gunshots had come from the direction the crowd had been running to, in the direction of the back exit. This enabled Nicole to get to Carol. She moved to Carol's side and knelt down. Carol was already lying in a puddle of blood. No! Nicole screamed in anguish. She placed one of her hands behind Carol's head and the other around Carol's waist, bending over her friend, and bringing her lifeless body to hers. Carol, stay with me, Nicole pleaded. 
She was oblivious to the chaos around her. She felt the warm blood from Carol's head wound on her hand, then laid Carol down, knowing that her friend was dead. She looked at Carol's blood covering her hand and clasped it to her breaking heart. Two more gunshots echoed in her ears and pulled her back to the moment. She looked around, hearing another gunshot. She needed to seek shelter and found to her right some toppled tables. She crawled to the protection of those tables. More shots ringing out brought Nicole back to the reality before her. They again came from the direction the panicked crowd was heading, the front door of the nightclub. Turning away from the shots again, the crowd headed for the other exits. Screams and chaos ensued, but Nicole sat quietly in her shelter of tables, staring in shock at Carol's lifeless body. A few tears ran down Nicole's cheeks as her mind recalled the two men she didn't know by name, but who obviously had a hand in killing her friend. She could see the man with the icy blue eyes vividly in front of her, as, for the first time, Nicole began to feel anger and hatred fill the spot in her heart that had been filled with love for Carol. She knew that she would not be able to forgive that man until justice could be carried out. In that moment, Nicole vowed to do everything she could to avenge the pointless killing of her friend, whom she loved like a sister. The crowd ran out of the exits, and the nightclub became eerily quiet for a few minutes. In those few minutes, Nicole pulled the tables closer to her to ensure that she was not visible, just in case one of those two men she would never forget were still in the club. Soon, she heard sirens getting closer and closer to the club. Nicole's eyes never lost sight of her lifeless friend lying in her own blood on the cold, lonely dance floor. The house lights went on, causing Nicole to blink. She could hear the voices of the arriving police officers. Although the officers were surprised and shocked at the sight, Nicole was shaking from the shock of witnessing the cruel way in which her friend had been killed. She knew the officers were talking, but it didn't register in her mind, nor did she care what they were saying. One officer went over and grabbed a couple of white tablecloths from nearby tables to cover Carol, as if that would give her back some kind of dignity. The police went about their duty, collecting statements from the few remaining employees, and Nicole sat there, hidden, staring. For what seemed like an eternity, Nicole sat in her fortress of tables, safe and secure. Then she heard a familiar voice. Another old friend had entered the scene, and his voice began to bring her back to the living. All right the booming voice of Chief Bailey rang out as he walked toward the dance floor. What the hell happened here? And why was it so important that I be here? For the first time, Nicole looked away from Carol's body and at Chief Bailey. She heard her mind calling to Bailey, but voice formed no sound. Nothing was coming out of her mouth. One of the officers pulled the tablecloth back from Carol's head, revealing it to the chief. Oh, Jesus, Bailey exclaimed. He turned his back and motioned for the officer to cover Carol again. Jerome tried to gather the rushing emotions that were running through his body. He stood there for a few minutes, trying to collect all the emotions that were coursing through him. Another voice came from the distance and addressed the chief. Looks like I get to work with you again, chief. Kevin Thompson walked up to the chief and choked back the joke he had been about to say when he saw how visibly upset Bailey was. Did you know the victim? Thompson asked. Yes, I did. Good friend of a good friend of mine. 
Bailey gathered his wits and took a deep breath. I don't know if she was here or not, but for her sake, I hope she wasn't. Thompson moved to the body, putting on a pair of gloves, and pulled the tablecloth back, beginning to examine the body for the wounds. He stood up, looking down at the body. Whoa! That was a pretty cold-blooded murder. Thompson started to scan the nightclub, trying to imagine the scene. What brings the FBI into this investigation? Bailey asked. I got a call from our friend, Thompson whispered as he continued to scan the club. His eyes came to rest on the tables toppled directly across from him and the small bloody prints on the dance floor that led to the carpet and ultimately the tables. He bent down to get a better look. He could swear that someone was huddled in them. He started to move slowly to them, motioning to Bailey to stay where he was. Just before getting to the tables, Thompson got down on his knees and peered in to see Nicole, who had tears on her face, her blood-soaked hand to her heart. Hello? Thompson started as he slowly moved one of the tables away to reveal her. My name is Kevin Thompson. Can I help you? Thompson asked quietly. Nicole's eyes began to fill with tears again as she moved her blood-soaked hand from her heart and extended it to Thompson. She couldn't speak, but she pointed to Carol with it. Her mind said, That was my sister, my best friend. I want that bastard caught but nothing came out of her mouth. A good friend of yours, no doubt, Thompson said as he reached for her arm. Let's get you cleaned up. He started to gently pull her from the tables, but Nicole resisted. It's okay. I'm with the FBI, and nothing is going to happen to you. I promise. Thompson tried again to help her from the tables, still meeting some resistance. Bailey had become interested in what was unfolding in that huddle of tables and began to walk toward it. He caught a glimpse of the cinnamon-colored hair of his friend. Nikki, he said quietly. Oh, Nikki. He cursed the fact that Nicole had witnessed the cold-blooded murder of her best friend. He walked closer to the tables as Thompson turned his head to address him. Chief, don't say any names, please. I'll explain later, Thompson said quietly. Turning back to Nicole, Thompson said, Will you please come out of there? Chief Bailey and I want to get you cleaned up. Nicole allowed the stranger to help her out of the tables, now that Chief Bailey was close by. Thompson turned to Bailey. Get your men out of here. It was a bit like an order, but Bailey didn't hesitate to have his men move outside to secure the unguarded doors. And get rid of the nightclub staff, Thompson said, when he noticed that a few had taken interest in the person emerging from the table. Bailey called to one of his men to escort the staff to the manager's office and stay there. What's going on, Kev? Bailey asked. Later. Right now, let's get her cleaned up a bit, Thompson added, and then away from here. They helped Nicole to a chair a little farther away from Carol. She sat down as the chief left to get some wet cloths to wash Carol's blood from Nicole's arm and hand. Thompson grabbed one of the cameras that had been left behind by the police. He apologized to Nicole for having to take pictures of her like this. Nicole shook her head and said, I understand. Thompson had her stand as he tried his best to keep her head out of the shots. 
Her arms and dress were covered in blood. There was even some blood on her cheek, where she had pressed her cheek to Carol's. Thompson helped Nicole back into the chair as Bailey came back with the wet cloths. Bailey saw that Thompson had taken the photos and thanked him for his thoroughness. I get a copy, Thompson answered, and Bailey agreed. Thompson pulled a chair up to Nicole and began to clean her arms and hands. Tears began to run down Nicole's cheeks again. I'm sorry, Thompson said to her. Can you tell me what happened here? Some jackass hot shot foreigner killed my best friend, Nicole answered. Nicole was coming out of her shock, and her anger was again welling up inside her. Her anger was motivating her to speak. Bailey's lips curled as he thought to himself that he would have heard nothing less from her. Nicole looked at Bailey and then at Thompson. And the minute you have that son of a bitch in custody, I want to know. I want the case, Nicole said. Well, you don't work for the, Bailey started. I will by Monday, Nicole answered. I want that son of a bitch to fry for this. Nikki, Bailey said her name softly. Thompson looked at Bailey and interceded. Can you describe the son of a bitch? There are so many here in D.C., Thompson said. Nicole looked at him to see a little smile on his face. Thompson looked Nicole in the eye, a look they held for a few seconds. Yes, he was about six feet and had these icy blue eyes. Nicole shivered when she saw those eyes in her mind. Thompson noted the shiver. Okay, that's good for now. Thompson interrupted as he put the claws down, done cleaning her arms. He turned to Bailey and led him a little way from Nicole. I need to get her out of here and somewhere safe. That's on the advice of our friend. Why? Bailey said. She can stay with me and my wife. No. Sean gave me explicit instruction if she mentioned his eye color. It was a clue from Sean and very important. Jerome, this is between you and me. She can identify the serpent. He'll be back for her, and Sean is the only one who can keep her safe. We have no idea what this guy looks like, and we know how cold-blooded he can be. Right now, I'm for giving MI6 all the help they need. Promise me that she'll be safe, Bailey said. I promise as much as I can promise. Thompson turned back to Nicole as he spoke to Bailey. Give me a few minutes and then get your men away from the front entrance of my car. He walked back to Nicole and brought his chair closer to her before sitting down. Nicole looked at him once he was sitting. Nikki, I'm working with the British government on a case, and I need you to trust me. Nicole started to say something, her mind recalling the other foreigner with whom she had danced. He had had a British accent. She stopped, mainly because Thompson held up his hand. I know it is really difficult to do, but I do ask that you come with me and we'll make sure you are safe. Why wouldn't I be safe? Nicole asked, shaking her head. You are in danger, and we want to protect you. Thompson stood up. Let's get you out of here. Where are you taking me? You'll see, Thompson said, as he took her by the arm to lead her to his car. No more questions until we get to where I'm taking you. Is that a deal? Thompson looked at Nicole, who agreed with some reservation. Bailey returned and met them as they reached the front doors of the nightclub. Nicole gave Bailey a hug. Take good care of her, Jerome, she said, 
as tears filled her eyes again. I will, Nikki. You take care of you. I trust this guy with my life, so you do too. Okay? Bailey said as he let her go. Nicole could only nod in agreement as she wiped the tears from her eyes. Thompson slipped his coat around Nicole, sliding his arm around her waist, and began to lead her to his car. It was dark outside, and Thompson moved as quickly as he could to his car, opening one of the back doors. Then he asked Nicole to lie down across the back seat as she got in, a request that Nicole found very odd. She did as she was instructed, and Thompson moved quickly to the driver's seat, started the car, and peeled out from the scene, determined to get Nicole to safety.